0: Let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 18. We're going to begin reading at verse 21, and read through the end of the chapter, and 23 through 35 are the verses we're really going to focus our attention on. Matthew 18, let's start at verse 21. Then came Peter to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say, not unto thee till seven times, but until seventy times seven. And now we have a Parable. Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet. And besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all and he would not. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant. I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from the heart your hearts forgive not everyone his brother, Their trespasses. So far, we read God's holy, inspired word. Peter came to the Lord with a question Master, how many times must I forgive a brother who sins against me? He put up a number seven times. Peter thought perhaps he was being very liberal. And he wanted the Lord's approval. Seven times. And after that, I don't have to forgive him. The Lord said, no, Peter. Not till seven times, but 70 times seven. So what does that amount to? Anybody can do that math in their head? 490. Does that mean that 491, then it's done? No. That's Jesus' way of saying there is no end to forgiving a brother who has sinned against you. And then to illustrate the need to forgive, and what it means to forgive, and the motive to forgive, Jesus spoke this parable which is often referred to as the parable of the unmerciful servant. It is well that we consider this, because we are those who need forgiveness from God and must cry out for mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But it's also important, then, that we know how to forgive one another. I call your attention to the parable of the unmerciful servant. A wonderful forgiveness. Secondly, an unmerciful attitude. Thirdly, a terrible end. Our attention is called to a certain king that would take account of his servants. Verse 33. 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. That servant, or those servants, were technically known as satraps. This was a Persian king who divided up his vast empire into vast sections and placed over each one a satrap or a servant, who ruled on his behalf but also was called to furnish his treasury with wealth From the area that he controlled. Every year, a certain stipulated amount must flow into the king's treasury to do the business of maintaining the military and other government affairs. These satraps are called servants here because, of course, they were appointed by the king under his authority. And according to the parable, this certain king was now going to take an account with his satraps. He was going to settle accounts. They owed him so much for this calendar year. We're going to have a settling here. And we read in verse 24, and when he had begun to reckon, or settle up, There was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. We're dealing with the very first servant that was brought to him to settle up. And the servant was behind in his obligation 10,000 talents. You know how much 10,000 talents is? Well, money fluctuates. But let's put it this way, the average daily wage of a worker was a denarius, one denarius. A talent was 6,000 of those denarius or denarii. So one talent was $6,000, 6,000 days of hard work. Now we're talking about 10,000 talents, which, if I have my math correct, is 60 million. 60 million days of hard work to add up to 10,000 talents. A humongous sum. And this satrap didn't have the wherewithal to pay. Why? we not told. Did he squander what was given to him? Was he a poor manager? Were there unfortunate circumstances? We're simply not told. That's not the point. So we continue to read, But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. Notice the servant had nothing to pay. Maybe a little, but basically he was broke. He could not even make a dent in his debt. And so the king required that he be sold. This was common in Bible times. You were sold, your wife was sold. Your children were sold into slavery. Your possessions were confiscated. They were sold as payment of a debt. Continuing to read, verse 26 the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He fell on his knees. His face was on the ground before his king. He humbled himself before his king and he pleaded, have patience with me. Have patience. And that word translated patience means be slow to anger. Slow to punishment. In other words, what he was saying is, give me time. Give me a little time. And I will pay my entire debt. A promise that this satrap most certainly, was never going to be able to keep. We read that, verse 27, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. He was moved with compassion. That word, moved with compassion, is literally moved to one's bowels. The Bible is very descriptive of pity and compassion. When your heart goes out to someone, when you have deep compassion upon someone, it affects affects your whole system, your stomach, trap, tra- your tract, your bowels. And this king was deeply, deeply moved by the plight and the pleading of this satrap, and so. With great compassion, the king did more than just give him time, but released him from the debt. I forgive you. You owe me nothing. And we'll start over. This powerfully portrays the reality of God's mercy to forgive our debts in his kingdom. In this parable, the king obviously represents God. And the servant who owed 10,000 talents, well, he represents you and me and all the true citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Well, all the true All the citizens of the kingdom, some of which are in citizens in name only. We are God's servants, even as this satrap was a servant of the king of the parable. God has given to us in his kingdom various positions of service and responsibilities. Are you married? did he give you a spouse to that obligate to that relationship god gives you many responsibilities to serve not only your spouse but also you also him has he given you a family children grandchildren as a parent you have many responsibilities that god places before you are your children in the home? Do you have brothers and sisters? You have responsibilities God has given to you, to your parents and to your siblings. He gives us responsibilities in the church, in the school, in the business world, in our community. And as servants of God, we are to perform these duties and responsibilities in loving service to God. This service of God involves the whole of our life. And we read in Ephesians 2, verse 10, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. For each of us, God has eternally ordained good work. And he's recreated us in Christ to do that as his workmanship. Now daily, as God's servants, we are brought before God to account for ourselves. We are those who must give an account. God has given us opportunities to serve. He's given us resources. He's given us so much and now he wants an accounting. And that accounting doesn't just happen at the day of our death when we stand before the judgment seat of God. And it doesn't just happen at the day of days when there will be a public judgment. That accounting comes every day. Every day we really and truly come before God. And the Lord wants to know, what have you done? How have you served me? How have you kept my obliga- the obligations I set before you? The Bible speaks of our conscience, that's God's voice, where he speaks to us in connection with his word, and there is an accounting that's required. And when we give an accounting, unless our hearts are hardened and we deceive ourselves, we know that we have fallen short and that we are debtors to the living God. We have not kept our obligations. In fact, the 10,000 talent debt that this satrap had in the parable is small compared to the debts that we have before God. And we've got nothing with which to pay those debts? Absolutely nothing. What pays the debt of sin? Can you get some money together and throw it in the collection plate? Can you make a big contribution if you've got enough money to this cause or that cause? You think that'll start paying off the debt? No. You can't pay this debt off with money. What about if I promise better things in the future? Promises don't pay off the debt. What if I do some great feat for the Lord? Great feats don't pay off the debt. Only this. That the full punishment of God for sin, because he's a just God, be endured. So that God vents all of his wrath and anger against us and our sin. So there's none left. And that isn't even enough. Because he wants also those obligations met in love that we have failed to do. That's the only thing that pays up the debt of sin. And we cannot do that. Oh, we can, uh, we can suffer under the wrath of God, we can go to hell forever, but that, that'll never come an end. We'll never be able, not even in the eternity of hell, to take away all of God's wrath against our sin. We cannot pay that debt. We deserve to be stripped of all that we have and to be cast into the prison of hell to suffer eternally under the wrath of God. Always, always a debtor. We are taught in this parable, however, that there is mercy with God and compassion. And as the servant in this parable pleaded for the compassion of his king, so we are to plead also for mercy. No, we are not to ask, as the servant did in this parable, be patient with me and I'll I'll, I'll pay what I owe. Give me a little more time, a little more time. No, that's not what we are to do. We are to cast ourselves on the mercies of God and plead for forgiveness In the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we are to do. We are to own up our sins by faith. We are to be repentant, truly sorry for sins. It must be our desire to forsake sin and to turn unto God, to reject and repudiate the sins that we have committed. And then plead for forgiveness on the basis of the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And in that way, God freely forgives all our debts. Wipes them all away. And that's an amazing thing. Because as we notice, first of all, the spiritual debt of our sin far surpasses this enormous $10,000 uh, debt of talents that the servant in the parable owed. That, that, that's nothing. 10,000 talents. That's nothing compared to our debts. And we are to ask God, forgive them. For Christ's sake, I'm sorry. I really am. I, 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 I want to be reconciled. And he does. Amazing. And then there's one more thing. His forgiveness isn't this, that he simply ignores our debt, simply sweeps them under the rug. That's what the king did in this parable. He, he took the loss. Well, like I, I, you know, I'll just take the loss. God is a God of justice. The debt. Must be paid for there to be forgiveness. And so he paid it himself. He paid it himself through the death and sacrifice of his own son on the cross, made the ultimate sacrifice for the likes of you and me that he may forgive our enormous debts. That brings us to our second point. Our attention is turned to the unmerciful attitude of this servant who had just been forgiven, verses 28 through 30. Listen, but the same servant went out. And found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. A hundred pence. That's denarii. Remember we talked about a talent was, that was so big I forgot already. 6,000 denarii. One talent. 60 million denarii. Make it 10,000 talents. This fellow servant, Owed the forgiven servant a hundred denarii, what it would require a laborer to work to make in a hundred days, not sixty million. And in spite of that, fact that he had just been forgiven, that large debt, he goes out and demands payment of this small debt of his fellow servant. Pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He makes the same plea to fellow servant of the servant that had just been forgiven. Be patient. Give me a little time. I'll pay you all. And this was a debt that he could do. This was manageable. A hundred denarii. But he would not. He would not hear of it. And then the original... The verb tense suggests that this was an ongoing thing. The fellow servant pleaded with him repeatedly, Give me time. Give me patience. Be patient. I'll pay the debt. And he would not hear. Repeatedly, no, no. And he went and cast his fellow servant into prison till he should pay the debt. That's what he did. The actions of this servant towards his fellow servant depicts the unmerciful attitude that all too often is found in the church of one member towards another. Or, i will leave it at that. We sin against each other, don't we? We have obligations before God, but God also says those obligations are also obligations towards your neighbor, and they're dictated by the second table of the law. Let's just read the Catechism a little bit, pick out some things about what the Catechism says are our responsibilities in the second table of the law, honor your father and mother. Show all honor, love, and fidelity or loyalty to my father and mother. Submit myself to them. Patiently bear with their weakness. Children, young people, you always do that? Do you show loyalty to your parents? Honor, do you honor them? I look back at my youth and I say, not much, not much. I came later on to, came later on to when I uh, learned a lot of things and I saw from a mature perspective what my parents were doing, but not when I was a young person, not much. Sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Neither in thoughts, or words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor my neighbor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. The neighbor is the person close to you, one living in your house, the one that's in your school. Oh, how we can dishonor, how we can hate, how we can wound with words, sometimes with fists, And then the positive, is it not enough that we do not kill? No, for when God forbids envy and hatred and anger, anger, that's, that's a violation of this law, he commands us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, all kindness, prevent his hurt as much as in us lies, do good even to the enemy. You see the debt starting to pile up? We're debtors to our neighbors, aren't we? The eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, requires that I don't covet my neighbor's goods, that I'm content with what God has given to me, that I don't under any Pretense. Take what is the neighbor's. The ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others, further that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. Well, that's stealing. Don't steal. The ninth commandment. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't falsify your neighbor's words. Don't be a backbiter. Don't be a slander. Don't judge in condemning him rashly or unheard. In all judgment and all dealings with the neighbor, I love the truth. Speak it uprightly and confess it. Also that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. The debts keep on racking up, don't they? The way we treat each other in marriage, in our family, at school, in the church. These are obligations God has placed before us as His servants. And we fail our neighbor. And we become debtors to our neighbors. And when someone hurts us, and they do, in marriage... In the home, school, we like to focus on that, don't we? Wow. Look what they've done. They've embarrassed me. They've hurt me. They've belittled me. They took from me. In the schoolyard, I got beaten up more than once. I did. Wasn't very good to fight. I got beaten up more than once. You know, it's very easy just to focus on that. Wow. And to be angry, resentful, and completely forget that the debts that your neighbor owes you is small compared to the debts you have incurred before the living God. Look how you have dishonored God. Look how, how you have failed. Part of your dishonoring God and part of your debts is what you've done to your neighbor. Oh, it's easy to focus on what they have done wrong, what he or she has done wrong, and completely forget, but what is my behavior? What is my behavior? We like to magnify these debts. And then get back. Hold a grudge. Revenge, which further magnifies the debt. We are to forgive our neighbor his debts. Now, there is a thought out there that. We just automatically forgive anybody who sins. And I understand what they're trying to say. We mustn't hold a grudge. We mustn't get revenge. But the Bible does speak of the need for repentance to one another, for us to forgive one another. And that's earlier in the chapter, the well-known policy that Jesus sets forth called the Way of Matthew 18. Moreover if thy brother shall trespass against thee here we got a uh, 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 one who sinned against me he, he owes me a debt go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone if he will hear thee thou hast gained thy brother if he'll hear thee repent i'm sorry he's forgiven and you've gained your brother but if he will not hear thee, well, then there's more work to do. Take, one of you, take with you one or two witnesses that in the mouth of two or three, every word may be established. And then if he won't hear them, go and tell it to the church. The idea that, well, if someone sins against me and it's a serious thing, immediately I, I forgive him. Well, then there's nothing more to do, is there? Matthew 18 doesn't apply. Then the whole thing is done. But that's not often the way of love. There is such a thing that love covers a multitude of sins. Not every fault, misstep, annoyance, hurt that someone brings is a big matter. Let's not magnify everything, especially in a family situation. Love covers a multitude of sins, but there are times when a sin is of such a nature that it can't be let go. For the glory of God for the welfare of the family or the church. It must be dealt with. And then we must require repentance. Repentance. But I've known a situation where someone has repented and there's still no forgiveness. They've come. They've initiated it on their own. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you go and bring in your gift to the altar, and you remember your brother has someone against you, leave your gift there and go to your brother and be reconciled first, and then go bring your gift to the altar. They want to be reconciled, and they, the one whom they have sinned against will not. Sometimes it's because, well, you've exceeded the number of times I can forgive you. You've gone past the seven that Peter thought was appropriate. You've been doing this too much. I can't forgive you. Not again. Not again. Or they'll give lip service to forgiveness. Yeah, I forgive you, but then there's always the bringing up, bringing it up again, bringing it up again trying to get back seeking revenge making you pay they don't forgive they don't forgive unmerciful servants pray for God's grace that not be you or me All right, now the final point, a terrible end. Our attention is now called to the judgment that comes upon this unmerciful servant. Verses 31 through 34. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, he had cast this other servant who owed him a small debt, cast him into prison, they were sorry, they were filled with grief, and came and told unto their Lord what was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Notice, you wicked, wicked servant. And what was his wickedness? I had compassion upon you, and you wouldn't show compassion upon your fellow servant. You would show him no mercy, you wicked servant. His Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. All this applies to the kingdom of God as well. When a fellow servant sins against us, and sometimes that sin isn't just against us only, you or me, but many of us, we must have compassion upon him. Forgiveness is a matter of compassion. The sinner who falls into sin is in trouble. He needs help. And now if that sinner repents and comes in humility and say, please forgive me, I wronged you, I hurt you, I know I did, can you forgive me? It's a matter of compassion to forgive him and to be restored to him. He wants to be restored. He does not want to stand in a state where you won't forgive him. And that sin stands there between the two of you. And you can't look beyond it. That's not compassion. Compassion is I forgive you and I forget about it and it's done with and we're restored. That's compassion. It hurts the brother when you will not forgive him. And therefore, even though you give lip service to forgiveness, you drink up, you drudge up the past always, you shun him, you destroy his reputation, you get revenge. It's compassion to forgive. And now notice too, that forgiveness doesn't just mean it's done with, I don't hold it against you, but forgiveness in the broadest sense means also, and I will help you. I will help you. Sometimes the hardest Situations to forgive others is when the sin is repeated again and again. And we've, conf- and we've forgiven. And here they are again. That's true of someone who is under the control of drunkenness. Or drug addiction. Or gambling. Or other sins that have taken hold of them. Then to forgive also means... Let me help you. Let me help you. That's what God does when he has compassion upon us. And, and we're caught in a sin and we come and, and we ask, Lord, we plead, Lord, forgive me for Christ's sake. Forgive me. Not only does he do that, but he, he helps us. That's compassion. That's compassion when we do that with one another. Now, if God has compassion on us and forgives the huge debt that we incur before him, when we plead for mercy, certainly we must also forgive our debtors when they plead for the same mercy. We must do that 70 times 7. That's how often God forgives us. Seventy times seven, there's no end. Thankfully, I'd have run out of forgiveness long time ago before God. Long time ago, and so would have you. He forgives 70 times seven. That's how we must forgive. 70 times seven. And if we have indeed found forgiveness with God, we will forgive our fellow servants their debts to us. The same faith that leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ in godly sorrow over our sins and pleads for mercy before the face of God on the basis of Christ's perfect sacrifice, that same faith that's led us to the cross to find forgiveness with God will make us inclined to be forgiving to others. In fact, I can state it stronger yet. If you can't or if I can't find it within me to show compassion to those who have sinned against me or you and there's no forgiveness. That means you've never tasted the mercies of God in the forgiveness of Christ. You can make all the confessions you want, but you've never tasted it. You've never tasted it. If you have tasted the compassion and mercy of God when he freely forgives your sins in Christ, you will be quick to forgive your fellow servants. In light of all this, we can understand the closing remark of Jesus in this parable. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. The king in this parable was angry with this unmerciful servant. Cast him into prison. Gave him to the torments till all should be paid the huge huge debt. Well so likewise shall my heavenly Father do to you to me. If we from our hearts forgive not everyone, his brother, their trespasses. And the reason, of course, is this. If you will not forgive others, that's an indication you have never been forgiven by God. If you cannot find in your heart to show compassion and to forgive, That means you have never experienced the compassion of God to forgive, and you're still in your sin, and the debt is not paid, and you'll be cast away. Let us therefore turn by a true faith day by day to the cross, confessing our sins, coming with true repentance hating our sins, grieving over our sins, desiring on the basis of Christ to be forgiven, we will find great compassion. Seventy times seven, there's no end to it. In that power, and in that forgiveness, let us be quick to forgive one another, to show compassion upon one another when we struggle with sin, to help one another out. Seventy times seven. Amen.